Hi, everybody. I wanted to start this episode off with a correction. Later on the episode, you're going to hear us talk about Miklat de Kutle. I was referring to Miklat de Kutle as a woman. Miklat de Kutle is a man. And his wife is Mikasewat. They are the rulers of Miklan. So this is the underworld slash afterlife for the Nawa people, also known as the Aztecs. So now you know, and thank you, and on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dying with the Divine. I'm your host, Ashley, and together we'll be exploring the magical, the mystical, and everything in between. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about chocolate and a popular folk saint. So I hope everybody's having a great week, and if not, I hope it gets better soon. Today, we have an awesome guest. We have Ishel Lara. Ishel Lara is a professional bruja who centers in Chiquina wisdom and magic in her eclectic Mexican brujeria practice. Her offerings conjure a craft that is decolonial and focuses on liberation work for the individual and collective. Hundreds of her clients over 20 plus years have been guided by her into reclaiming their true power and shaping a life of real magic. She is the maestra of blood and bone following the lineage of Kali Ochlatl Tunaka. Oh I'm my sorry. God. Kelly Osola Kotonaka. <laughs> oh, there is I'm sorry. This is the bad. This is the worst part of having a podcast where you talk to people from different cultures. Every single culture is different. So I have to learn how to say their words. And I'm so sorry. So, Isham, how are you today? I am lovely. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you're here and so glad that you're so forgiving of all my bad pronunciations. Yay. First question I'd like to ask everybody is how did you start on your path of magic? Oh, okay. How long do we have? <laughs> we have as long as you want. <laughs> yeah. No, so really it's been my whole life. I was raised, so my family is Roman Catholic and I was raised in Catholic church I would say up until it was about 10, 11, we were going to mass every Sunday, yada, yada. So I had that. And my dad was like very Catholic. Even mm-hmm. when we had stopped going to church, he was still, he has his own little altar and he had his Jesus statue and Virgin Mary and all of that. So he was very Catholic. My mom, on the other hand, she's Catholic, but she was also very witchy. She did her like both Catholic practices. And when I was a kid, I didn't know exactly what that was. But it was very normal for her to say things like, oh, I had a dream last night and such saint told me X, Y, and Z, or this angel came and told me this. And so to me, that was normal. And so sometimes I'd come home from mass and I'd be in my room by myself and I would ask questions to like the saints or whatever, and they would respond. Mm. And so to me, that was normal. And then as I got a little bit older and I would go to friends' houses or talk about certain things, and I found out very quickly that is not normal. (laughs) 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 It is not normal. It is not normal. And more than that, not only is it not normal, but it's very frowned upon by Mm -hmm. a lot of people. And so for me, part of my journey 
was in reclaiming my practices because when I had that experience of people being very judgmental, and it wasn't even just a normal, like, well, we don't like that. People would, some people would be afraid. Mm-hmm. And I would say, make assumptions and have superstitions about certain things. So for me, when I was a kid, I learned to zip my lips. I didn't talk about it. I just had the narrative in my own mind of, you don't talk about this outside of the home, outside mm-hmm. of my family. So when I got older, I tried to push away a lot of these experiences Mm -hmm. and spirit just kept coming back and like in different ways. And I remember I was like, I want to say maybe 1920 and I had gone, I had some crazy experiences and I was like, no, this is absolutely not something I want to have in my life. So I went to this local church that was, I think they were Pentecostal. And I was talking about some of these things and they were like, oh, yes, yeah, demons, you need, let's bless mm. you and pray over you. And, you know, in my head, because I had been scared by some of these experiences, I was like, oh, yeah, that must be it. <laughs> <laughs> that must be right. Oh, you know, shit. I know. And, <laughs> you know, in my whole life, I've been like, no matter what, I was like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. I was always believing in Jesus. Jesus helped me. Jesus guided me. Mm-hmm. And so when I was having that period of time in my life, when I was at this Pentecostal church, I remember things did go away for a little while. And then they started to come back. And I remember praying and I was like, Jesus, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought like, we had an understanding. Right. <laughs> I thought we got this under control. And I was like, hey, I need guidance here. Basically, what's going on? What am I supposed to do? And there was an incident at this church that I was like, okay, this is definitely not for me, this mm-hmm. particular church. But then I was lost spiritually without a home. And then at this around the same period of time, I had gotten a new job. So I go to this new job. And I used to work in business management and retail. Mm -hmm. So I go, first day, there's also another new girl. We're both managers. And me and her are talking, and she's like, oh, by the way, are you open to mediumship? And I was like, why? And I'm like, why? What do you know about me? And it's in my head. (laughs) What did you hear? (laughs) (laughs) But she's telling me that she's a medium. Oh, she sees my grandmother around me and she was asking me if I was open to a message from my grandmother. And I immediately kept my guard up, but also I'm open because I'm like, okay, like my grandmother has passed. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what you got? So she gives me a message and stuff. And um, when she's a cool girl and she tells me that she works at this local metaphysical bookshop and she teaches classes. And so... I'm like, okay, I'm having these experiences. I don't have a spiritual home. Here appears this medium. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like, okay, let me see what's going on. So I take one of her classes, and immediately my own abilities just jump right open and back like when I was a kid, before I was, like, trying to push everything away. Yeah. And, And still, though, I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, Jesus? (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, is this really what you're guiding me to do? To like, hey, sis, come through. And <laughs> so 
I'm like, okay, I'm praying for guidance and you get me this new job and you meet, you bring this medium into my path. So I'm thinking, okay, this is the right direction. Mm -hmm. I actually ended up getting hired at that metaphysical bookstore to do readings. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm like 21, 22 at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to do readings. And like I said, my abilities had come back to the place they were when I was a kid and it feel it really just felt right. Mm-hmm. It I loved that I could help people with that. Yeah. And there was a time growing up when I didn't realize you can choose to connect to this. Like mm-hmm. it was just random experiences when I was a kid. But yeah. when I, at this point in life, I was like, oh, I can like, I can reach out and be like, <laughs> like I'm picking up the phone, like hello, can yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it felt empowering at that point because when I was a kid, it felt like it was happening to me. Yeah. Randomly, whenever they wanted, like the spirits. And now it was me, like I said, like picking up the telephone and saying, hey, now if I need you to come through and answer questions. So I had started to have a much different relationship with spirit, with my own abilities, and also recognizing, like I said, that I could help people in that way. That set me on this journey. I would say my whole 20s, I was doing it on the side. And then I had my first daughter when I was 30. Mm. And at that time, I was like, I wanted to stay home with her. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to start a home business. Mm -hmm. What do I want to do? My first business actually was, it was a retail shop selling baby products. Mm. (laughs) But I was like, once... Once they're not babies, like I have two daughters, mm-hmm. I was, and I was thinking to myself, once they're not babies, do I still want to do this? Yeah. Well, no. What do I want to do? And yeah. it was spiritual work. So oh. 2012, mm-hmm. I started my spiritual business online. Mm. Um, and ever since then, I've been doing it as my main full-time thing and um, just growing. And when I just want to rewind a little bit too because like at the same time when I started doing these readings at this bookstore I had gone into meditations and I was having like people come through who were native and to me I was like okay cool interesting Mm -hmm. and then I would say okay well who are you and they'd be like yeah ancestors we're like great great, great grandpa great whatever and I was like because I, I'm like, I'm in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I grew up in, like, city suburbs. And, like, my dad is from Mexico, and we used to go to Mexico, like, for our summers. Yeah, so yeah. It wasn't like I was disconnected totally, but it was not the culture I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I'm having ancestors appear to me and tell me information and that I'm not connected to. One of my tribal connections is Nawa and the mm-hmm. Urepecha, and I didn't grow up in those communities, but my interest was raised now that I'm connected spiritually. Yeah. So I started at this time, like, genealogy research. Yeah. And I'm starting to want to get reconnected to the side of me. So that was, like, also the same time that I'm opening up to my spiritual abilities. I'm also opening up, like, to cultural Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't have the, the language for it at the time, it was me 
starting decolonizing. It was me getting reconnected and re-indigenizing. Mm-hmm. And there were groups I was connected to. Like originally, there there's a group called Nikan Tlaca, which is for all detribalized people of Mexican descent. Mm-hmm. To reconnect and start learning. Through that, I got connected to a teacher who was from Mexico, who mm-hmm. is the one who became my maestra. Mm-hmm. And she is who I started to recognize, oh, the stuff my mom was doing was magic. Mm-hmm. The stuff she was doing, well, in our terms, is brujeria. Mm-hmm. There were things. She cursed people and she was open about it. Yeah, <laughs> well, what you got to do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, what? <laughs> yeah and i well with my mom i just what i knew what of what she was doing is that like when i think about her cursing it was people who were hurting people she loved yeah well in my mind it was like okay you're protecting yeah so for me that was never like a bad thing but of course as i got older i recognized there's lots of stories and narrative around it and i started to understand why people have superstition and get scared of it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I'm learning from the, my maestra about our practices and how a lot of what, like I said, like a lot of the narrative and everything is about witches and evil and demons and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But really it's like our native practices. And through colonization, that narrative started. Mm-hmm. So for me, then it became a conflict between my Catholic backgrounds, and now when I was reconnecting to indigenous practices. So I I had this whole cycle start where I was like, everything, I'm cutting off everything, Catholic, Christian. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'm like, okay, bye, Jesus. And then I'm done. It's been real. Like, you got me this far. And it's like, I'm moving on. Yes, I went from being very connected to, to that, to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's my anchor, to letting that go. And now I'm exploring the indigenous side and those spirits and those practices. And I would say up until maybe even a few years ago, I was very, like, Nothing Christian in my mm-hmm. life, nothing Catholic at all. But my dad had gotten really sick in 2017. Mm. And so I started to help my mom help take care of him. He needed physical care. Mm-hmm. And he passed in January of 2018. Mm, and at that time, with the like the native practices I have, there's ancestral veneration and putting up altars and things like that, which, to be honest, up to that point, I didn't, I wasn't consistent in that, mm-hmm. but I didn't take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. It was like when I felt like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would do something. But when my dad passed, I eventually, I put him on my altar. Mm-hmm. And that was like very emotional. Mm-hmm. And it was also the start of when I really started to take that very seriously connecting with my ancestors and making sure that I had a strong connection. Mm -hmm. That's happening behind the scenes personally. On the business side, professional side, 
my business really was more on the face. It looked more like new age stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I had gotten into that. Mm-hmm. I was into like the crystals and high vibe and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And then, so on the face of my business, that's what I was doing. But behind the scenes, I had my like my ancestral stuff, my native stuff. And so once my dad passed, it just was too conflicting. It felt like that was no longer me. Actually, it felt like that for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But I kept pushing it away because my business was really, like, it did really well. And I was, I well, I was, still am, a single mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So in my head, I'm like, I don't want to take the risk of switching my business. And, like, and also definitely can name that the wounding was still alive about the judgment. Yeah. So I had to do a lot of work confronting my own fears about expressly being bruja and those practices and knowing that people have so much superstition and fear around it, lots of judgment. It has been weaponized and used against me by people in personal side of life. So I had to prepare myself when I wanted to like re-emerge professionally Mm -hmm. and put this out here as the face of what I do. But I also knew I needed to because, like, my spirits, the ancestral spirits were, like, for years have been, like, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And, like, be open about it. So once he passed and I was, like, taking the ancestral practices very seriously, I started working with Santa Muerte. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she helped a lot with my own growth and, like, stepping into feeling safe, feeling secure Mm -hmm. about being open about it. And definitely, she's also a particular spirit that people are like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> They're like, oh, okay, you work with Archangel Michael? Cool. But then, like, somebody might come along, and I'm like, I work with Santa Muerte. Oh. Oh. Um, the skeleton? No. Like, like, I think, okay, it's nice to meet you. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it, too, because they're, like, the ones who who'd never heard of her, and they're like, who is that? Oh, mm-hmm. you know, it's holy dust. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, real interest. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. I'm not trying to be mean. I always do this one. I'm doing this. I always do the sign of the cross when I think I'm being mean. It's the Catholic in me, too. I'm like, okay, I'm about to say something mean. I might as well just do this preemptively. <laughs> okay, when you see a baby that you don't think is like that cute, and it's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> somebody show you the picture and you're like oh this is a cute baby you're like oh well he has an interesting look he certainly do- oh my god I'm getting a phone call oh I'm so sorry what is that <laughs> that's a baby a baby oh so innocent you just have to use different words you don't know what to say He's going to grow right into that. Yeah, he's going to grow into it. It's going to be fine. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Back to what we were talking about. Okay. Santa Morte. That's where we were at. Sorry. No, that's okay. And that's exactly what it's like there, you know? <laughs> oh, God. They're just like, oh, okay. Yep. What's that here? My phone calling. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I think working with her definitely is like being pushed off a cliff into facing all the fears that you might have about people's judgments. 
But yeah, so she and I are very close. She's she's my main spirit I work with. I'm a devotee. Mm-hmm. So I have committed for life. She's helped me with many things. Also, because of this journey with her and coming, I feel like it's come full circle, spiritually speaking, because I now welcome Catholicism back mm-hmm. in. So I don't believe in the, what I would call the mythology. Yeah. But I definitely believe in the spirits. The mm-hmm. same. Me and Jesus are cool again. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I call him Jesus. Let's um, do it. The more <laughs> epic, the better. I know. <laughs> Let's do so, it. <laughs> well, anybody who does have an ancestral practice knows what you put on your altar is for them, not for you. Yeah. So with my ancestors, and particularly with my dad, get having a Bible there, a rosary, the Virgin, those are all things that were very important to my dad and like other ancestors, certain other ancestors. So those are on my altar. Mm-hmm. Reading a passage from the Bible is for them, but I can personally now find some beauty in it I can find what parts of it are helpful to me. So I have a folk Catholic practice, but I'm not Catholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know yeah. for some people that can be confusing. But but yeah, so my personal practice and m- my professional practice are now matching. Mm-hmm. They are aligned. So I'm in a really good place now, spiritually speaking, because I feel like who I am behind the scenes fully matches who I am up front there's absolutely nothing that is a secret. I talk about everything now and share it with everyone. So now my spiritual journey, I feel like, is in a really good place because everything's aligned. But it was a lot to get to this point where I do say it definitely is a decolonial practice. And that means a specific thing to me that may not mean the same to other people. But it's definitely, it's decolonial. It's centered around indigeneity. It's, I don't know, it welcomes everything. Like I was mm-hmm. talking about the magic and like cursing and things like that, which is all part of our culture. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about that now that I feel like I have to hide. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has judgments about it, I understand now that's their narrative, their conditioning, yeah. and their shit to deal with. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you, first of all, for telling me all that um, and telling all of us. I think it's so. Now, when you were talking, I was also trying, I was like, I- I'm trying to find a good way to say this because I don't want anyone to be offended by this. When you were talking about how you started a new AG at first, it was like a new AG kind of shop. I feel. Now again, I don't want anyone to be. I don't want anyone to be offended by this. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing: new age stuff makes us all feel good, and we're all like, "Yeah, everything's great. We're manifesting." Yes. We're all with the manifestation. But like, when you talked about okay, then you started getting more and make it more like your practice and including your like the brujeria, like what you know, what your ancestors knew. That's when you it starts to get hairy for people because that's when we have to confront all the I'm gonna use the word privilege that it is to be new agey. New agey mm-hmm. to me is like oh, I'm gonna sound like a dick when I say this, but I'm like it's like privileged spirituality at that point because 
it's just like all the fun stuff without having to look into anything. Yeah. A lot of the time. So like when we talk about, oh, people will be like these ancient. Oh, I love when they're like these ancient practices. Nobody tells you where they're from. <laughs> they just tell mm-hmm. you they're ancient. This is why I get really upset when people talk about what's the thing I always yell at my friend about. Like yoni schemes and stuff. Like, <laughs> Trust me, I have a point. I'm sorry. Okay? People, they'll be like, it's an ancient practice. From where? Nobody knows. And nobody can ever tell you. And I'm get- that's why I'm like, I'm not doing it. First of all, that sounds weird. I don't want to burn my vagina. I'm not into that. But like, <laughs> this is exactly what we need to all do. When you talked about, like, I started my decolonization work when you started doing your practice in a way that served you and served your ancestors better and then even when you brought into your folk catholicism that's still decolonization work that you're doing and you're doing it for your ancestors without them being here you're mixing all the things that they some of them were forced to believe it but some of them this was their comfort but you're comforting them by bringing that into it and i think that's so beautiful that you do that in your practice and that is part of the work that all of us have to do. I'm not saying everybody, you have to, if you have to go out tonight and buy like a 23andMe kit if you want to. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I am saying that you need to look at what you are practicing and what you believe and see, is this just like the privileged version of me? I can just do whatever I want and say that it's this without knowing where it's from. This is the big thing. And I think I've said this before, why I hate when everybody talks about oh, well, I just bought Sage and I did this and that. Okay, so? <laughs> like, you're just doing it because you heard everybody else does it. You yeah. don't know anything about the intention behind it. You just think, well, it's for clearing. Yeah, okay, it's for clearing, <laughs> but understand that. And I used to say the word, use the word smudging, but that's a closed practice. I don't say mm-hmm. that anymore because I learned about it and realized that is not, that's not for me, number one. If I want to clear with Sage, I understand the intention. I know that behind it. But smudging is its own practice, so that's not my thing. But people just do stuff now because they're like, well, I heard it was spiritual and it made people feel better. But that's not doing the work. And maybe your work is not necessarily... It doesn't have to be ancestral for everybody, but it does have to be looking more deeply into what you believe and why you believe it. It's not just looking at the surface and saying, I got this crystal and now I feel better. I promise it's not going to work for long. I'm just being honest. Everybody can get mad at me for it. (laughs) You have to look really deeply into who you are. And maybe you aren't going to have exactly the same experience like Ishelle had with the unfortunate passing of her father and then her doing all these other things. You might have a different kind of experience, but it's important to look at our lives and look at what we believe and why we believe it and not just doing it because everybody else was doing it and it's popular. Of course it's popular. Everybody wants to feel good, but you're, but in the end, you haven't worked through anything. You didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. You bought a crystal and it's pretty and that's cool. I love, <laughs> I have crystals too. I think they're really pretty and I love them. But if I don't do any kind of work with it, what am I doing? And for a lot of us, I think who are, first generation Americans, maybe second generation, we end up living in these two worlds and it complicates things a lot for us. Like you have the American, well, depending where you are, you have the culture you're born into, but you have the culture that is in your bones. And I'm not saying Mm. it's only if you're first and second generation, it's just that you're 
closer to it when you are. You're like, you might be a fourth or fifth generation and you feel that way. That's okay. I'm, I'm just making an example. But like, it's in our bones and we grow up in a house where maybe you eat things different or you speak a different language or your culture's a little different or your religion's a little different. And sometimes growing up, you try so hard to like fit in. You end up, like you said, oh, I guess all these things, and even if it's just cultural, it's not like hearing saints, but if it's anything, you'll be, I guess this isn't okay. You know what I mean? Because of who I am and who my friends are, I guess this isn't okay. Now you have to grow up and then you get older and you start giving a shit, less of a shit about what other people think. Now you have to reckon with all that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All I'm saying is give peace a chance. Just try to learn about yourself and go a little bit deeper than just being like, well, I'm going to manifest this and that, which is fine. All of that is good if it makes you feel good. But if you really want to like deconstruct and like decolonize your thinking, it it involves a little bit more depth and research. Mm -hmm. That's my rant. Sorry, Michelle, you were going to say something. I cut you off. Oh, no. Um, well, one, I co-sign everything you just said. Um, <laughs> I think one of the thing, the realizations I had is that New Age is a tool for capitalism. It mm. is, I call it Christianity. Like, well, let's just be real. If we're going to offend and hurt feelings, I'm going to say, and add on that Western Christianity is white colonized christianity hello thank you okay go ahead when the <laughs> new age is basically white christianity light mm. and mm. hot take a like go even further <laughs> everything that we find in new age and i'm really gonna hurt feelings here reiki and chakras is extracted and exploited practices from brown cultures or non-white cultures she just had a talk today with one of my friends magically she has candles that are infused with reiki and Mm -hmm. for a specific purpose and she's like oh can i you like can i dress these with herbs and like dedicate them to a different spirit or blah 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 and i was like here's my two cents (laughs) (laughs) reiki is japanese they have a whole cultural background and spiritual practices and spirits that are attached to their concept of energy healing, Reiki. Mm -hmm. So when you're interacting with that, the candle, you're interacting with all of that. Mm -hmm. So I said, you're going to add herbs. Do you know if those herbs conflict with that cultural lineage, Mm -hmm. the power that is lined up with it? A spirit. Do you know that spirit conflicts or not mm-hmm. with that energy because it's not just a candle <laughs> is an anchor into a source of power that belongs to Japanese culture mm-hmm. what do you actually know really about Reiki and have you studied the culture have you studied their spiritual practices so that you know actually what you're fucking with mm-hmm. especially magically if you're going to mess with another culture's stuff you can literally, you can seriously fuck yourself up if yeah. you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. It's like people who want to work with Santa Muerte. Okay, great. But do you know our culture? Do you know what she comes from? Know what, what that whole energetic power source is so that you actually know. Because it's not just death. Like death is, of course, everywhere and mm-hmm. in every culture. But that death the energy of death is filtered through a specific channel. In this case, it's Santa Muerte. 
yeah. in another culture, it's a different spirit. So they take on different content, different tone, different characteristics. So it's not the same across every culture. You want to interact with Santa Muerte, you want to interact with Reiki, you want whatever that is. Do you actually know what the fuck you're doing? Did mm -hmm. you take the time to study it so that you actually know where it comes from? If you don't even know what it was born from, how in the world do you think that you really have tapped into the power? Yeah. When I was talking to another friend who is from India, we mm -hmm. had a conversation about the chakras mm -hmm. and how in New Age, it's it's basically not really connected to the authentic teachings. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about like some of the differences and how it's looked at. And I agree with her, almost like entertainment. Yeah. In Western New Age. And I just thought, wow, if we just had more people from those cultures, or even not even necessarily from the cultures, but who people who actually know what the book they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Writing the books and teaching and all of that. We wouldn't have all this regurgitated surface level stuff and specifically Reiki and chakras because those are the two main things in New Age spirituality. You are not plugged into the authentic power source, so you don't actually carry the medicine, the power of that thing. You're a weak ass medicine carrier, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and master teacher chakra, whatever, <laughs> all the labels that people like to put. <laughs> you don't carry the medicine. No. You don't carry the power. And it's not that you can't, it's just that you won't do the work, like to your point. Yeah. That you're you haven't done the work, you aren't doing the work, you won't do the work, and you don't want to admit what I'm talking about is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so like when people talk about cultural appropriation, at least when I bring it up, I tell people I'm not coming from the vibe of how dare you? How dare you interact with yeah. a I'm coming from the vibe really of protect your neck because you're fucking with something you don't know about. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I've been saying. Thank you. I'm, okay. Michelle, this is why we're here today. This is why you're on my podcast. Because this is what I've been talking about. I've seen the same thing the other day. I was like, cultural appropriation to me is not like you can never, you can't do this because how dare you? And how, no, everybody, which is fine. Okay, here's the thing. I can't be offended about every single person who does something for my culture because I, I don't care. Because if you're like, well, you know what? I love this symbol from your culture because... I was there and I learned a lot about it and I know that it means X, Y, and Z and I it just really connect with that. That's fine. Okay, cool. Like, like <laughs> because you actually learned something about it, like you're talking about Santa Muerte, there's people who are not of any type of Mexican descent or Central American who are, who want to be Santa Muerte devotees and they do the work. They connect with her. They learn about the culture around her. They will learn about the history of her, which is the right and respectful way to do it. If you're going to do it, okay, cool. But like mm -hmm. when you're out here, okay, we're going to, we, after this episode is going to come out after we had an episode about Hecate and everybody's talking about Hecate. People don't even know who Hecate is. She's just popular on TikTok. So everybody loves Hecate all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, Hecate, yeah. But like when you actually research, you know what part of the world she comes from and their traditions, that's how you can really connect with her. Cultural appropriation is because you don't, it's because you don't give a shit about the background. You just think it's cool. Like mm -hmm. if you learn about backgrounds, like you're saying, Michelle, you can really access the 
knowledge and power of these really beautiful practices and beautiful deities that you want to connect with, you have to understand them. It's like getting married, right? And you think somebody's hot and you're like, cool, I want to marry this person they're hot. But then you get married to them and you barely speak to them. You don't know what they like. You, they don't know what you like. And you're like, why is my relationship bad? Because you don't know anything about them. <laughs> you, don't know, you don't know their favorite color. You don't know their favorite food. You don't know what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what their goals are. So now you marry somebody you hardly know. You're confused as to why your relationship is so surface level. I'll tell you why. You don't know anything about them. And it's the same thing with deities and practices. You're talking about Reiki. What, and also, we have to realize that our cultural practices, no matter where we're from, may conflict with the cultural practices of the deity or culture that you want to work with. Like you said about the candle, your friend might be doing this with certain herbs. Maybe those herbs are, are really not cool in Japanese culture or maybe it's Shinto culture. I'm not sure because I don't know that much about Reiki like that. But like this herb might be like completely not cool for them. They might mm -hmm. be something for them that is like, ooh, we only use this when we want to fuck people up. You're using it to play <laughs> candle. We use this to ruin people's lives. Like, <laughs> like, like you said, it's all about protecting your neck. Or in nursing, we say cover your ass, CYA. Because you don't want to get into situations where you're working with deities and cultures, and now you're a mess, and you're like, I don't know what happened. I just wanted to manifest. Well, they didn't want you to. <laughs> the colors you even I know in Santeria and West African cultures too, colors mean a lot of different things. You can't just use any color for any type of deity because they all have their own colors. So like you're using green for Shango. Shango is red. Now he's not he's gonna be like, I don't like green. So he's not gonna help you. <laughs> you gotta it's just so important that you do the work when it comes to all this stuff. It's not all fun and games. I know everybody wants to have fun and be like, yeah, I'm spiritual now. Yeah, I know. But, but like, just, <laughs> okay, great. But like, it's important to really look into what you want to do so that you can actually get also get the results that you want. When you want a more free life, you want more, feel like you're able to contact the spirits yourself without intermediaries. You, everybody can do it. You've just got to really be good and know to do the work sorry that's my rant after you spoke you said so many important things oh i love it, oh, I love it. <laughs> jesus, jesus you're great jesus we love you too you're great that's the other thing <laughs> just how you were talking i was like i had the same problem just when you were talking i was like i feel you so hard i went through a point in my life that i was like wait a minute if my people were colonized and told that their practices were wrong in the name of Jesus, does that mean I can't like Jesus? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> me and Jesus are, we're great. We are all vibing. <laughs> me and Shell and Jesus, we're vibing. <laughs> we're all, we're vibing. So I'm like, that's crazy because, and I thought, okay, I guess I have to renounce Jesus. But Jesus was always in the back of my mind. Hey, messy girl. And I'm like, <laughs> Like, gee, I have a rosary on my altar along with my Akuna doll from my tribe and like all this Kente cloth on from my tribe and different symbols. But it's there because he means a lot to me. He never did nothing bad to me. 
he only ever tried to help me. So I'm like, Jesus, we're still cool. Virgin Mary, we're still cool. I'm the same. It's like, I'm not deep in it like that. But like, I know that Catholicism meant a lot to people in my life. And Christianity meant a lot of people, a lot of my ancestors who are no longer with me. So in order to honor them too, I'm like, nah, Jesus, you got to come back. And he's like, yeah, girl. (laughs) I'm like, we're fine. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) that was a great time. Talking about that. Oh God. So this week, our dish of the week and our tea time is going to be the same. So tea time is when we talk about something educational and our dish of the week is when we talk about some food. It's going to be the same thing today because I was like, this is an opportunity. Today, we're going to talk about cacao because here's the thing, everybody. Again, I'm not trying to make a statement. Nobody get mad at me for saying this. There's a lot of people having cacao ceremonies. and I don't know if they know what they're doing. I don't trust nobody. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody, have you noticed this? Everybody is doing a cacao ceremony now. And I don't know if anybody's doing it right. So I just, I don't know anything about cacao. So I can't judge. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying I need to do my research because Mm. I don't like to go. Okay. And we had actually my friend on who does like, ceremonies with ayahuasca she went to what i like to call ayahuasca college so like i trust her like (laughs) she was in the jungle for two months learning what to do so i'm like okay makes sense to me but like all these random people who wear beige hats and all neutral clothing (laughs) and they're in the desert and they're talking about they want me to drink this stuff and i'm like i don't know (laughs) i don't know i don't want to piss off okay let's talk about this too we're gonna get into we're gonna talk a lot about the assets let me tell you something. I don't know so much about what I've learned about the Aztec spirits is number one, they're badass. And number two, I don't want to piss them off. I'm not out here trying to drink a cow and act like I'm doing something when I don't want them to get mad at me. <laughs> because they're powerful and they're really cool and I don't want to make them mad. That's my preface to all of this. I just want everyone to know. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to make them mad at all. Okay. So we're going to talk about cacao today because I was like, I need to learn about this. And since we're talking about Mexico, we'll be doing another thing later. We're going to talk more about Mexico. We're going to talk a little bit about cacao. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. We're going to do it. I'm excited. Because um, <laughs> I learned a lot. Okay. All right. So what they see now, what uh, archaeologists have been like, hmm, when did people start really using cacao? So they said the first people to use it were the Olmecs uh, in the 1500 BCE. So back, right? You guys remember the Olmecs from history class. They were like, oh, the Olmecs were there and then they weren't. Like, they didn't disappear. They probably were just <laughs> absorbed. I don't, I don't under, let's talk about this for a second. I don't understand what people say. <laughs> a tribe disappeared. They didn't disappear. They probably just joined another tribe. They were either conquered or they intermarried or something happened they didn't disappear they were just right. they just moved and called themselves something else <laughs> <laughs> everyone relax um <laughs> and plus empires rise and fall so there was like olmecs were doing really good and then probably like the mayans came in so they were like now we're the new people here it's not a problem <laughs> anyway um so, <laughs> so the olmecs the word for them was cacao so it ended up being cacao later on um and, okay, here we have a quote. As empires rose and fall, the subsequent Mesoamerican civilizations of the Isipan, Mayan, Toltecs, and Aztecs were convert- were coveted cacao for its properties, primarily in the form of a froth, a drink, 
It was a prized possession and available only to the elite, for it was a godly potion that would grant energy and power and use in many rituals and to appease the deities. Um, the attributes were considered more than simply advantages in that time. Food and prayer were also the only source of medicine. So, and we'll get into it later too. The cacao also has a lot of really good um, like healing stuff. So they use it for different ailments, but it wasn't at least what I read. And then people were like the way that they were drinking it back then, it wasn't tasty. It wasn't good. <laughs> people drink uh -huh. it. It was like Robitussin probably to them. They're like, this isn't good, but we need to drink it. Like, <laughs> whether it's for, whether it's for, oh, there's also, and I forget the name of it, but there's this sport. And I remember learning about this in sixth grade Spanish class, but then I saw a video on it the other day. So there's this sport and it was played by the Aztecs. And it's kind of like soccer, except you play with your hips. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read too that before the and this game could sometimes be played just for fun, but sometimes they were playing ritualistically. A lot of the time, they would drink the cacao because it gave them. It was like a little Red Bull for them. It gave them a good <laughs> energy. Yeah. So they were like, "Let's play before we play the game, so we can win." I thought that was cool. And the game looks, the game is hard. I was watching people play this game. I said, oh my God, this looks really hard. I was like, oh my God, I can't play this game. You have to be like on the ground trying to get it with your hip and you have to hit it from hip to hip. And then you, oh, and it's not funny. You guys, the game is you have to hit it from hip to hip, right? Then there's a basket, but it's not like a basket. It's on its side. It's a hole. Like it's a round, think of a round shape with a hole, like a donut. And it's like on the wall, but it's on its side. And you have to get the ball through that. With your hips. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's not easy. But it's pretty cool. As I told you, though, the, the Aztecs could do it because they're badass like that. Okay, so then also the... Oh, and also archaeologists even found cacao in Ecuador. And that cacao actually dates back to 5700 BCE. So cacao is old. Like, people have been drinking it for a really long time in different parts of the Americas. It also grows in other places, but this is where we know people were using it um, for ritual and for different reasons. Okay, in some parts of Central America, cacao was actually used as a form of payment, which makes sense because it was super, super coveted and people really needed it. So why not use it to barter for your goods? When the Spaniards came, they discovered the value of the cacao and then they called it black gold and the seeds of gold because they realized how good it was for all this stuff. And actually when, and we'll get into that in a second, but oh, <laughs> no. The maximum storage for this period is three years. Okay, you can store it for three years. I didn't know that. Okay. Didn't even know I put that in my notes. That's nice. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> and the biggest change when it came to cacao came with this asshole. His name is Herman Cortez, if you've never heard of him. He's a dick. <laughs> he is a real terrible dude. He sucks. <laughs> He basically came into Mexico and was like, I'm going to kill everybody and take this stuff. And that was like 1519. And he took cacao back to Spain and he was like, I don't know what to do with this stuff, but they love this shit down there. And everyone's like, okay. So then the Europeans were like, let's try to add sugar to it. Because as I told you guys, it don't taste good like that. It doesn't taste like chocolate. <laughs> it did taste nice. It was bitter. Think of when you, you know how people don't like dark chocolate, but think of that like times 10. That's what it tastes like without the sugar, without the milk. So then when he brought it back to Europe, people started adding sugar to it to make it taste better. Then in, I think it was in the 1800s, there was this guy, I don't know what country he was in, but his name was Van Houten, and he developed a method 
to use about 50% cacao and then he added some milk to it and he frothed it up and then he baked it and froze it. And he was like, this is chocolate. And then people were like, damn, this shit tastes good. Um, and then <laughs> Nestle in 1857 pulverized milk into it and they were like, ooh, this is even better. And then in around the 2000s, everybody was like, wait, this isn't the original way we had it. So everyone started realizing that. So that's fine. Anyway, let's get back to the other stuff. <clears throat> so cacao was an intrinsic part of ancient Mayan and Aztec life. And it wasn't just a beverage or a food, but it was a pillar of their economy and an integral part of religious ceremonies appearing in many spiritual ceremonies, even death and ritual sacrifices. Now, we have to make a note. Everybody loves to talk about the Aztecs and how they sacrifice people. All right, let's talk about this for a second, please. Because anything we need to. Now. <laughs> because you know what? <laughs> Everybody be ragging on the Aztecs for this. First of all, this happened in a lot of places. There's a lot of places where... Okay, let's talk about the Aztec spirituality. The way Aztecs thought was a lot different than we think today. The Aztecs thought life is a cycle. You're going to live and you're going to die. So it's not like they didn't value death. It's not like they didn't think it was sad when someone died. Everybody in the world, that's a universal feeling. You're going to be sad. But they also saw it as a necessity to bring new things forward. So when they did do sacrifices of whether it was whatever people, animals, it wasn't because they thought it was cool. It was because they thought it was necessary. And a lot of the time, there's a lot of evidence that the people they were sacrificing were sometimes criminals. It wasn't people like, oh, they're all virgin girls. I don't know, everybody got that in their head. But it wasn't always like that. A lot of time it was people who were like, did something wrong in the community. They murdered somebody or did something terrible. So they were like, well, this person is sentenced to death anyway. I'm not trying to make it flippant. I'm just trying to make people understand. They're like, they saw things differently. And they saw this as like, look, we can't, this, the crops are not growing well this year. We have to sacrifice something to the gods because they got to help us. And this is not the only place in the world that where they did this. There's a lot of places. And sometimes there's the evidence is thousands of years back. And I have theories about this too. But I think there's certain places in the world where they don't talk about it because they don't want it. They're like, oh, no, we don't want to say that it happened. But it did. It happened in a lot of societies. But people like to rag on the Aztecs for doing it. They were bad people or something. No, they just understood things different. They were, no, this is just a necessity of our society. So I just want to make that note. Sorry. I just get, no. very, I get very upset about that. I, I agree with you, and I'm glad you said something as well. I think I notice that a lot when people want to talk about the good things. And I notice mm -hmm. this about any Native tribe. There's always somebody who comes up and is like, oh, you're talking like, they were all peaceful together and they didn't fight each other and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's a justification for genocide. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, or they sacrificed people so they deserved it or whatever the case is. And I'm just like, Romans did it. Greeks did it. Chinese mm -hmm. did it. I'm sure somewhere in Norse mythology, we hear about all some of their yeah. stuff. And I'm like, literally, I think probably every culture around the world has had some form of that. And then even if not, let's look at colonization. Mm -hmm. you know, we all know the things that happened during colonization. So let's not act like there's any society that's better than another who, who never harmed anyone. This is what I'm trying to say. Everybody, it doesn't matter how it happened. Colonization exactly was a genocide of so many societies 
around the world. I always say, remember how they say the sun never sets on the British Empire? That's because they conquered so many places around the world and they made those people suffer. I don't care where it was. Nothing ever was the same because of it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the Aztecs sacrificing people for their own, for the good of their own community, these people were, let's talk about the Romans, were just killing people for fun. So don't, act <laughs> like one is better than the other. It was both, yeah, in both situations, it's sad because people got murdered. But the situations were different. One was necessity and one was for fun. So I'm just putting that out there. Take, <laughs> do what you want with that. But okay. So actually, now going back to what we were talking about, I'm sorry. I get very passionate about these things. <laughs> this actually, and there's a book called the Papel Vu or the Book of Counsel. And this is like a Mayan text that they found. The Mayans and the Aztecs, they kept records, man. They were not playing any games. They wanted you to know what happened. They were like, we're here and we need to let everybody know the story. So in a lot of their ancient texts and their creation myths, cacao was a part of it. And one of the stories, the severed head of a god is hung on a cacao tree. And in another page of the book, there's the god of maize and there is a cacao pod sprouting from his head. So also in creation gods making humans out of cacao so they're saying that like humans are part cacao that's how big of a deal this was and okay so we talked we were talking about this in Aztec societies a lot of time cacao was actually given to sacrificial victims in order to connect them to the world so they thought everybody's part cacao so they're like when this person's going back into the earth let's give them the cacao to continue to join them with the earth when they are going back into it And, okay, this is an interesting ritual that we have to talk about. During an annual Aztec ritual in Teochitlan, a slave would be chosen to represent Quetzalcoatl, which is a god. At the end of 40 days, during which this person had dressed in finery and was given all manner of good food and drink, he was informed of his impending death and then made to dance. If the temple priest saw that he was not dancing as enthusiastically, or as well as they expected him to, they gave him this drink that was a mix of cacao and water, and it was used to wash obsidian blades. They were sacrificial blades, and therefore they had some blood on them sometimes. The sacrifice would be the sacrificial person would be rejuvenated and really joyful after drinking the mixture of the chocolate, and then they would dance to their death. So this was a, a big part of that ritual in particular. Also, the Aztecs have a, almost, it looks like, you know how in a lot of indigenous cultures in the North Americas, they have that cross with a circle. The Aztecs have something like that, but it's designed very intricately and there's different directions that are described. And the cacao is actually on that tree of this directional circle that they have. It's very pretty. I'm going to try to put it on the blog for everybody to see. So again, this just shows that in many Mesoamerican cultures, Cacao was a super important part of everyday life. And also medicinally, they used cacao to treat fatigue and alleviate fevers and people who were short of breath or had what they called the faint of heart. And when the Europeans got it, they didn't know what the fuck to do with it. So they just used it for fucking everything. Yeah. <laughs> they were out there used. They said they had more than 100 medicinal uses for cacao and chocolate. They were just doing whatever. <laughs> they were like, well, they're like, those uh, indigenous people like it, so we might as well use it. 
Here's some more stuff that it was used for. It was used to, it was used for emaciated patient, patients so they, they could gain weight. It was used for people who had apathetic, exhausted, or feeble nervous systems. It was used to improve digestion and elimination. And it's used for people who have weak stomachs to stimulate kidneys and to improve bowel function. Interesting. Oh, more stuff. They also use it for anemia. We are mental fatigue. So if you're, you're burnt out, I guess you should drink some cacao. Oh, people who had poor breast milk production, tuberculosis, okay, kidney stones, reduced longevity and poor sexual appetite or low virility. They also made it as like a paste to administer drugs. So they would mix it into drugs and they would use the beans the bark and the oil that came from it, leaves and flowers to treat burns and skin irritations. Okay. <laughs> Cacao was a catch-all. They're like, we can do this for everything. The traditional Mayan drink that they made a uh, cacao out of was like this. They mixed cacao with water and then they added spices such as chili peppers and cornmeal. We talked about in a previous episode, mole. So we know down there they love them chilies. Um, <laughs> we, they would pour the concoction back and forth from a cup to like get it frothy. And then they would sweeten it with flour, nectar, or honey. Okay. Then some other ritual uses of cacao. In Mayan times, drinking chocolate was one of the privileges of the high standard individuals, and it was considered the food of the gods, like we said before. It was reserved for the elite people, such as royals, nobles, priests, high government officials, military officers, warriors who had like really great standings, the local shamans of the community, and really particularly very good artists or high earning merchants. It wasn't suitable at this point for women and children. They didn't think they should drink it. The seeds were usually offered to the gods after it was made for something else. Marriage rituals used cacao, and that would say that would inspire fertility for the person who's going to have the baby in the marriage. And cacao was given as a gift for the birth of a child. So now we know a lot about cacao. <laughs> <laughs> It was a catch-all for everything. I love how the problem now is, though, it's been co-opted by everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's the thing that everybody seems to do now. I see cacao ceremonies everywhere, and I don't know. I could find some stuff, but I wasn't going to go into the way every single ritual was done. But rituals are done for very specific reasons. The way people are doing cacao now, I don't know so, so much about it. Just everybody's doing it. I don't know. Do what you want. I'm not trying to stop you, but you <laughs> research. Okay. At this point in the show, I'm going to plug myself, and then we're going to go to our story time. If you're enjoying this show, you can make sure that you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Google or whatever you like to listen to, Spotify. And you can also follow me on the socials. I'm at Dine with the Divine on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. I post clips of the show there, so feel free to go and look at that. If you really like the show, I would love that you would give me a rating on whatever platform you listen to it. Five-star ratings do great for us. And if you want, you can give me a tip. If you really like, you can give me $1, you can give $5, and give me your life savings, whatever you feel like. And if you have any suggestions for episodes, any questions, any comments, any constructive critiques, 
feel free to email me at dinewithadivinepod at gmail.com. Thank you. Okay. So next we're going to go into our story time. And today we're going to do a deity. I love doing a deity because we get to talk a lot about it. We're doing Santa Muerte, who I know, yes, you are very familiar with. I know in my own practice, Santa Muerte has come up a few times. I like her vibe. It's cool. It's very intense, but I enjoy a Santa Muerte. Who is Santa Muerte? Let's talk about it. First thing you need to know is Santa Muerte is a folk saint. What's a folk saint, Ashley? Let me tell you. We've talked a little bit about folk. We've talked about folk Catholicism on this podcast before and a little bit about folk saints. But there's a lot of different versions of folk saints. I would say in the... There's deities that are popular and they go in and out of style. Santa Morita is in style right now. And a folk saint... So Wikipedia tells us, a folk saint is a dead person or other spiritually powerful entity that is venerated as a saint but not officially canonized by, like, the Catholic Church. And since they're a folk saint, so this is saint of the people, like, officially recognized saints, folk saints are considered intercessors with God, but may not, but many are also understood to act directly in the lives of their devotees, frequently their actions in life as well as death, Distinguished folk saints from their canonized counterparts, official doctrine would consider many of them quote-unquote sinners or false idols. Their ranks are filled by folk healers, indigenous spirits, and folk heroes. The thing, too, about folk saints, and we'll see, we're going to talk more about Santa Muerte, is that they happen different ways. Sometimes a folk saint could be a person right? Like a person who was a really, a lot of time, a spiritual person. I'm sure there's a lot of saints who, if they weren't canonized, would end up being folk saints anyway, because they were someone who was a big healer in the community or somebody who was really spiritually knowledgeable. But another way that I see that folk saints come up is that because of colon, again, talking colonization every goddamn time, <laughs> because of colonization, Everybody had to be hiding shit. They would take a figure in their own religion, whether it was like, it could be anything. Oh, we talked about this actually when we talked about Kuan Yin. They would take a god in their own, and this isn't so much from a colonization with Kuan Yin, but don't worry. They would take a god that was already in their own indigenous folklore or their indigenous religion and convert it basically to be like, oh yeah, she's just this now. (laughs) they did that to bridget right bridget Bridget became a saint because they deemed her worthy of being the nice god so they were like oh yeah we don't worship her as a goddess anymore she's a saint yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that happened too santa morte is somewhere in the middle of that because her induction into sainthood is, is it's mysterious. People say they don't know too much. I don't know, Ishelle, if you have a particular theory of how she came to be popular. Yeah, so with something with it, it's a unique case because she was not a living person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to know Mexican history to understand her rise in popularity. Um, so for her, she is looked at as like a syncretized spirit with an Aztec god, Miklantecutli, mm-hmm. and Miklantecutli. Um, and 
Mexican, Mesoamerican, indigenous cosmologies, death is something that that people were very comfortable with because as you referenced earlier, we do look at creation as a cyclical thing. There is like time is not linear, it's cyclical. So life and death were looked at as very natural partners, necessary. So in Aztec mythology, or like it's Nawa, but in Nawa mythology, there is Mikulan, which is our underworld. This is where our ancestors reside. And the rulers over Mikulan, or Miktekasiwa, Mikulan Tikutli, as you were talking about with colonization, in order to preserve our practices and, and our, our deities, they got transferred over. So during our colonization in Mexico, Spanish brought over the imagery of the Grim Reaper and whatever their stories were, their narrative about that. So I think our people, the indigenous people, saw, oh, that's like this god or this. So we feel like theoretically that's what happened is that imagery got syncretized with whomever our indigenous people viewed as like the god goddess of death. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, at least, I know the first record of her kind of being popularized as Santa Muerte is in the 1940s. Women were using images, prayer cards of her and praying to her more so for love magic. They were wanting to keep their partners or get their partners or things like that. And from there, we can see how she transformed in Mexican culture. But I think it was like in the 90s, early 2000s, when she really started to expand out of Mexico. But yeah, so you were talking about folk Catholicism, and I just wanted to also add in that People who practice and are her devotees, some take a Catholic approach and view her as a folk saint, and then others are more indigenous and view her more as, like in our view, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm going to give like a whole history lesson, but... No, we're good. You're going off on a lot of things I have to bring up anyway, so this is great. I was like, oh, and by the way, I just want to apologize for... Saying Aztec and not Nawa, I didn't understand the the terminology, so I apologize for that. Oh no, um, it's okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. I think I'll I say Aztec when speaking, like on a podcast or something, because mm-hmm. I know people are more familiar with that. But yeah, the people themselves are Nawa people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so with us, our what we would call a deity is not the same as what most people think of in Western minds. Obviously, colonialism brought in its own ideas <laughs> of God and goddess. But for us in Nawa culture, they're called the Teteo, and they're not like embodied entities out somewhere out there in the, in the heavens or whatever. Okay. The Teteo are divine forces that are they're active and present everywhere, including in us. So they're not necessarily looked at as like beings. They're more like forces. Mm. So death, naturally, you find everywhere and everything. We look at it in nature. We can see it in ourselves when our nails are growing, our cells rejuvenate. Um, so death, that so that's what I mean. Like when we say death was very natural and looked at not as something scary is because it's present everywhere and in everything. Mm-hmm. So with Santa Muerte... It, from the indigenous perspective of working with her, the imagery is more like 
for us. It's not for her. Mm -hmm. It's for us to have a concept in our mind that we can wrap around this idea of what death is. Because death, if you really think about it, can you conceptualize death in, in an image or a being? So from the more indigenous side of it is we understand we're working with the force of death. And this is just the image that she has today that helps humans wrap their brain around this idea. And it's the same like in with the other deities, but they, they all, people will see some of the imagery and think that we view that as like a literal being. The uh-huh. imagery is more looked at as symbolic. If we look at the image, we can tell what are the characteristics and the behavior of this energy force. It wasn't looked at as, oh, this is this being that's out there somewhere. We're going to pray to it. It was yeah. more, yeah, it was more understood as like, these are just natural forces and the imagery of it, like Santa Muerte, is helping us to connect to it. Yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> so everything you said. Yes! And I think that's so true. There is a definite... I've learned from doing this podcast now, the colonized mindset of, like, certain things is very hard to break. Like, I feel like I understand things, like, one way. Like, this is a god. This is a goddess. And this is it. But, like, <laughs> but, like many cultures have situations like you're talking about it's more of the concept and they and the ancient people too they also were like let's draw pictures so everybody knows what we're talking about but they understood (laughs) that wasn't actually like what it was they're like no we just need to help everybody understand like by drawing it out or making a calendar or whatever they did also i want to mention this really quick because I don't think I talked. Oh, actually, I'm going to talk about this. So no, no, I'm not talking about that. Okay, anyway, so let's go back. Okay. <laughs> I got very excited. Santa Muerte, she has several names also. So there's a couple different ones. <clears throat> going to go back to my high school Spanish. I'm trying to channel it. La Madrina, right? The the godmother. La Comadre, the other mother. Queer the Muerte, beloved death. And La Fuaquita, this, I knew that one, the skinny girl. Because there used to be a show on Telemundo. I don't know if it's still on <laughs> La, El Flaco. And La, no, it was La Flaca, El Gordo. And it was like a skinny woman and a bigger guy. And it was like a, te- it was like a television show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They hosted it. I used to watch it once in a while. I didn't understand everything, but I used to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just like Michelle just said, the, one of the biggest theories about Santa Morte is she is the modern manifestation of Miguelantecutle. Obviously, Michelle said it better than me, but just, just I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> so who was Miguelantecutle? Who was she? Let's talk about it for a second. She was a keeper of the bones, and she was also the queen of the quote-unquote underworld. Now, again, colonization has us always thinking of the underworld as like a negative thing. No. The, the underworld was just where she ruled, and it was, like, where everybody went when they died. She ruled Miklan, which was there with her husband. And her husband's name I don't have written down. But he was... Oh, Mik... Like you said, Mikikasiwat? I think you said that already. Mikikasiwat. Um, thank you. Mikikasiwat. He was her husband, and they lived down there. And everything was cool. So, so... Another reason they think, oh, she was really, like, she's a manifestation of her is because Dia de los Muertos is November 2nd and Miklantecutle's feast day is November 2nd also. 
Now, the Nawa people, they had an incredibly accurate calendar. They had two calendars, a ritual calendar and a solar calendar. Their solar calendar was 365 days. They didn't ask anybody. They just knew that, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Yes. <laughs> very, very smart. They also had different cycles of years. So remember when everyone lost their shit because they thought the world was going to end in 2012? Because they're like, the Mayan calendar says that. No, the theory is that they just finished it at that point. They were like, well, this is as far as we can go. Remember, these people were in like, this happened in like, they made this calendar like the year 1000 probably. No, probably earlier than that. They probably made it like 1000 BC. They didn't know how far time was going to go. <laughs> so they, they probably just stopped in 2012 and were like, huh, we've done a lot of work. We can't keep going at this point. <laughs> they didn't know. It wasn't that the world was going to end. They just didn't do any more years because they had done enough. The center of Nahuatl life with Teochitlan, that's Ilan is Mexico City, correct? It's like the same place, right? Yeah. Know. Right? Okay. And that's where they found the, oh, it's a whole story. And we're going to tell it one day on this podcast. There was a, there was like, a, I think there's a hawk with a snake in its mouth. An eagle. The, yeah, an eagle. And, oh, I like this story. We're going to tell it one day. That's a good day. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good story. Um, they had to find it. And the guy found it and he's like, oh, this is it. So don't worry about it. We'll tell it another day. She was the queen of the dead, like I said, and was supposed to be like a really awesome, beautiful place. You want to maybe equate it to heaven, right? It was a beautiful place. She was there. And so I read this, that the Nawa people, if you've heard of the dream time, the Aboriginal people had a theory of the dream time, right? And the dream time was technically like, right now, us being here on Earth, and we're in dreaming. But when we die, that's real. That's the real place. So they say that some Nahuatl people had the kind of same thought of that. So like, again, how Ishel was saying they thought of death very differently. This was another thing they thought of very differently. It wasn't as fearful as a lot of things are now. It was like, oh, this is just part of what, what's got to happen. She was born, when she was born as an infant, she was sacrificed at that point. People say she was born to die. And people also say, which I think is fun, she swallows the stars every day and every night she just takes them back out of her mouth to make night cool. So <laughs> they would also, the Noah people would bury their dead and they would leave them with gifts. And the gifts were for Mikulantikutle. So when they got there, they could give it to her. A lot of different cultures around the world did the gifting thing or they buried their dead with special things. I know in Ashanti culture, we're supposed to, I used to think this is funny and maybe it's not, I shouldn't laugh, but like, we used to bury people with like amenities, like toiletries, because they think you're going on a trip. <laughs> so we had chewing stick, like the brush your teeth and towels and different clothes. Cause they, they say you're going on a trip and they give you a coin. Cause we have a ferryman, again, another theme in a lot of places. You got to give the coin to this guy named Amache so he can take you across the river. If you don't give him a coin, you stuck. For a while or you gotta cross yourself which doesn't sound safe anyway <laughs> <laughs> anyway back to this um santa muerte also they say she could have been modeled after the european version of the grim reaper because if you see her if you see the imagery it's a skeleton but dressed like you would see uh, like our lady of guadalupe like that's how she's dressed with a crown and like a beautiful like veil and so, 
I didn't know this one. I found this on the internet. She may have been a spirit who appeared to in a dream of a 19th century brujo and demanded veneration. Okay, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't have uh, evidence for that. One thing that I read that I liked this quote, it was like, she has access to everything. It fears nothing. Because she does. She's death. What does she need to fear? She mm -hmm. is death. She's is... <laughs> <What's> scary. Right. <laughs> right. Like, what are you going to threaten her with? <laughs> She'll be like, out my way. Um, <laughs> what are you talking to me for? Um, she actually, she's petitioned for many matters in life and death. So she actually has become a favorite deity of, or favorite spiritual symbol for many of the quote unquote outcasts too of society. Not only magical practitioners or folk practitioners, but sex workers, sometimes drug traffickers. A lot of LGBTQ community look to her because she's not judging anybody. Again, she's deaf. Who is she judging? Nobody. She's just, I'm here. What do you need? And let's figure this out. Like, <laughs> she also can be invoked to handle anything having to do with death. For instance, if people are asking for a painless death or somebody is dying by suicide or anything like that, she is invoked for that. Catholic Church is pretty annoyed by this. They don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to spread the word that they don't have a good reason to not like it. I don't know why they're bothered by it. They just don't need to involve themselves, but they just don't like it. I think because also people like she's dressed like the Virgin Mary. What does that have to do with anything? How she dresses? Don't worry about it. People can put her on the altar and usually put different things or maybe different colors for different requests. If she's dressed in black, these are the colors they found. If she's dressed in black, she's petitioned for protection or revenge. Dressed in red, protection for, or dressed in red, love spells. Dressed in white, good fortune, healing from bad luck. Dressed in yellow, people may be petitioning her for money. She usually has with her either a scythe, scales, a crystal ball, maybe an hourglass. She does not like to share altar space with other deities. This is what I'm reading again. She's also called a lot of the time with, again, with the Catholicism, with St. Anthony and or Archangel Michael, because apparently she is, these are the only two like spiritual figures that she tolerates. <laughs> like, I don't know who the term is that. Somebody spoke to her and that's what she said. She said she don't mind them. So she, they call her with that. <laughs> Her bird is often an owl. And then a lot of the offerings people offer her are bread, water, incense, candles, prayers, tattoos. A lot of people have tattoos of her, um, which I thought is interesting as an offering, but that makes sense. Candy, fruit, flowers, rum, sherry, tequila, whiskey, red apples, chocolate, cigars, and cigarettes. Yeah, so that is a little thing about... Uh, Santa Morte, I put an article that about all of this also in the show notes if you want to read more about it. I got a lot of this information from my favorite, the Encyclopedia of Spirits. We talk about that. And yeah, so any anything else you want to put out there, Michelle, about Santa Morte? I would say that anybody who's interested in working with her, just trust what she tells you. Because I think there's, you can find so much on the internet and who <laughs> knows if it's right or wrong, but usually people are just talking from their perspective of their practice, which is mm -hmm. fine. Share experiences, but also just trust your experience and your relationship with her because nobody can really speak for her because like you said, she's deaf. Who's mm -hmm. going to tell her what? And I've had my own experiences of her where she's cool working with certain 
spirits that I think other people may be like, oh, no. Because like the Orisha, there's the African influence in Mexico. My mm-hmm. experience is that she's totally cool working with them. Mm. But other people may have different experiences. That's my main thing is just trust your own relationship if you're looking to work with her. Okay. Yay. You heard it here first, folks. Um, trust the relationship. Talk to her. See what she's going to say. Don't mess her. Don't mess with her. She doesn't have time for you. Shit. <laughs> so now we're coming to the end of the show. This has been great. Shell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, just tell people where they can find you, where you want to be found on the uh, online space. Yeah, so I mainly hang out on Instagram, Blood and Bone Bruja. This is my handle there. And my website, bloodandbone.com. Yay! Okay, so now we know everything again will be in the show notes as as well. If you guys want to check her out on Instagram, again, very aesthetically pleasing. I enjoy it. (laughs) It's doing well. I love it. So now we come to the end of the show. Like I said, thank you guys so much for being here. Again, this is Dying with the Divine. If you didn't know what podcast you've been listening to for the past hour, now you do. We are here. We're on all your major podcasting platforms. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook. I post little clips and stuff. Sometimes I'll just be on there telling you something that I need you to do for me. Give me a review. I always do that. If you really like the show, again, please do give us a review on Apple or Spotify. That helps a lot. And if you have any suggestions for an episode, again, email me at dimewithadivinepod at gmail.com. Even if you have comments or anything, please email. And if you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm at Sankofa HS. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S. And Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for being here and listening to the episode. And have a fantastic week. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.